Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome to the first guest segment on If I'm Honest. I am thrilled to be here with not only a longtime friend, but a race car driver turned motorsports reporter. You can see her on NBC, USA, Dirt Vision. Ms. Hannah Newhouse, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I am so honored to be one of the first guest segments. I'm glad this panned out. Well, I remember when I posted the uh, like that I was having a podcast and you were like, let me know if you need yeah. a guest. <laughs> I will bring the wine, and we are recording in the morning, so unfortunately, it's a little early for wine, but episode two, we'll yeah, definitely do in absolutely. the evening. Um, so, Hannah, you've had an incredible career. We were talking a little before about, you know, being a race car driver, exploring other things, how we got there. Um, I've always really admired your grit and hustle and, like, making it work, and so big fan over here. But um, can you take us quickly through your racing and, like, the main series that you competed in, and then also some of your favorite tracks and series that you raced in. Yeah, so racing synopsis, second, second generation race car driver. Um, if my dad would have had it his way, we actually probably would have been motocross racers. He was a two-wheel enthusiast. I still think that's his first love. But when I was probably four years old, he got in a really bad dirt bike accident and then made the decision four wheels in a roll cage for my kids. Like, that's just less likely to get hurt. Uh, I support that. I'm a big four-wheel fan. I could never do two wheels. Yeah, joke's on him, though, because I still found my way into a couple casts involved in, you know, go-karts and and, and cars. But, yeah, so we kind of made that transition into, like, go-karts when I was three, four. Did that, moved up to, like, crate late models and crate trucks when I was, like, 12, 13, which I now think, like, I see 12-year-olds on the street, and I cannot believe my parents ever had the gall to put me behind the wheel of a race car. But that is a conversation for another day with them. It is mind-blowing. Um, but did that, moved up into like super late models, ran regionally with some touring stuff, you know, won a track championship in a super late model, and then dabbled in some what was Canaan West, now Arco West. Um, before I made that decision, okay, I'm I'm a I'm a big fish in a small pond out west. And if you, you know, they tell you all the time you want to make it, you gotta move to the East Coast. And 
packed my stuff up when I was 17, dropped out of college, moved across the country, and quickly found out that I was a minnow in the ocean out here on the East Coast and uh, had to pay my bills somehow, which is how, again, a weird snowball effect I ended up here. But uh, it, it, I wouldn't have changed my journey whatsoever. And, you know, you mentioned favorite racetracks. I'm biased because most of them that I raced on were West Coast tracks. But if I could pick a racetrack that I would race on every single weekend, without a doubt, it would be Irwindale Speedway, which of okay. course is always sad because every single year I feel like we get that Irwindale Speedway turned into housing development or turned into storage units or whatever. I'm so thankful that it's still kicking and screaming. But between yeah. that one and then my home track, Meridian Speedway, two very different racetracks. I've raced on both, so yes, I know. Yes, very different. Very different. But, you know, the hometown feel, it's like I always say Meridian's the Bowman Gray of the West Coast. We don't have as much uh, vulgarness at maybe Meridian as they do at Bowman Gray. But nonetheless, it's a quarter mile. It was built around a football track or a football, you know, stadium. It's, it's just short track racing at its nitty-gritty finest. And then Irwindale Speedway is like, to me, dirt racing meets pavement because you're throwing sliders. For, at Irwindale for, Speedway. For actually, there's a great clip out there of you and me actually racing there at is. Irwindale Speedway. Yeah. There is for one of the KN races. So for, for non-racing fans listening, so some of the references, Bowman Gray Stadium, Meridian, and Irwindale. So Bowman Gray is a very short racetrack in, in the East Coast, and it's known for having fights, for people getting arrested. It's very, sorry, it's very like trashy, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. And my experience with Meridian was not quite that bad. And Meridian's also a really short track. And when short track are really short um you know there's a lot more bumping and banging there's less straightaway so you have less sheer speed but there's a lot more like kind of contact and racing action Irwindale is bigger at a half mile and from my memory a lot of the racing is done up by the wall yes and so instead of kind of turning in off the corner on an oval going down to the apex the lowest point and then going back up you're just kind of up at the wall which was the same with actually Homestead which I raced in the Xfinity series Mm. and it is so much scarier for me. I feel like that is not something that I thrive at. Um, but I think – so I know that we raced there. Did we – there was one race, and I, maybe it was at Evergreen. I don't remember, but there were three women racing. Were you part of that? I think it was me, Nicole Bihar, and I can't remember who the third one was. Was it Brittany Zamora? Oh, it might have been. It because it been. wasn't me. Okay. So I okay. never raced a K&N car there. I just raced super late monster. Okay. So I think it was Brittany Zamora. Okay. Anyway, that was a cool little moment in history uh, for having three women. And now it's it. crazy that like pretty frequently in the ARCA series, there's yeah. like three or four women. We paved – well, we were part of the pioneers of women <laughs> yeah. who paved the way. There, We were talking beforehand, like some of the women who came before us, uh, Kenzie Rustin, Joanna Long, who were also just like – Total wheel women. Uh, yeah, but. they're they're the ones that did the elbow grease, man. Yeah, they, they had did. to put some elbow grease in for us. They did. So did you? So you grew up watching NASCAR, I'm assuming. Yeah, for the most part, probably. And people, my husband, who's a big motorsports enthusiast, works in the same industry. He makes me laugh because he'll make references to like early NASCAR, early racing uh, history tidbits, and I have no idea what he's talking about, no can't idea. recollect them. And he's like, well, didn't you grow up watching it? And I'm like, I probably honestly begrudgingly grew up watching it, right? Like dad would sit down on the couch on Sunday and I'm like, oh, why are we watching this? Like I just was not – I don't think I maybe had the attention span to watch it. So yes, I watched it. Yeah. I can recall things. But like I was not like these kids or these – well, now adults that like eat, sleep, and breathe it on Sundays, right? Like Dylan right. made a point to watch every IndyCar race, every NASCAR race. And I was like, mm, I would much rather be outside playing in the dirt or like growing up in Idaho. Well, that's what it was, you know. Yeah. Just make sure you're home before the sun comes down. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like I watched it, but 
Right. Yeah. And I, I didn't grow up watching it. I grew up watching Formula One. Okay, and yeah. And Formula Cars. But despite our different routes to getting to NASCAR, we have the same favorite driver in Carl Edwards. Oh, now, I love him still. Love farmer him. Carl now. He's a farmer. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting is like, I don't feel like I have related to a lot of the NASCAR drivers, you know, being from New York, you know, we'll, we'll talk about college in a bit, but going to college and just like a very different culture. But for me with Carl Edwards, I feel like he was really classy, almost a little understated. I loved that he kind of brought legitimacy, I think, to the athleticism associated with racing that was not really acknowledged, I think, for a long time. And, you know, I'm saying this from kind of a distance. I've been able to speak with him a few times, but like just good guy. And I think in any really competitive industry, the higher up you go, I think the less good guy people people mm-hmm. are. So that was like, I just, it, he was seemed like one of the more classy drivers to me, which I think is why I partially gravitated towards him. But what were some of the things that you loved about him? So you're gonna laugh. Okay. Because <laughs> you gave this like, super knowledgeable, notable, like, here's why I love Carl Edwards. And I just remember being, like, a young girl and my dad being like, oh, you know, you have to pick a favorite driver. Because, again, he all he wanted me to do was sit and watch NASCAR with him. And I remember being, like, you know, a little teenage girl and Carl Edwards was on TV and I was like, he's cute. Love it. And that's where, Love it. That's where it started. Now, since then, similarly so, you know, I have heard the stories about him handing out business cards to get a, you know, get a ride. He was going to the racetrack, funding himself to get there and handing out business cards that said, you know, if – you need a driver. I'm your man. Here's my resume on a business card. Here's my contact information. That's how he ended up at Roush. Yeah. He gave he gave a business card to Jack Roush, the owner, and and ended up behind the wheel. So as I got older, that was more of a draw because I respected that. I was doing it. There's a picture that I have of me at Iowa Speedway in probably 2011 at an Xfinity race. And I am handing a resume and a business card, similarly so, to Mike Helton, who at the time is the president no of NASCAR, way. basically saying, I don't know what you know, who you know, or how you can help me, but I'm willing to do anything and everything I can. And to this day, when I see Mike Helton, because, you know, he's involved in IMSA sports car racing because NASCAR owns it. So he's a lot of the big IMSA races. Knows me by name. He'll still come up and Amazing. say hello to me. And, he, you know, we, we talked about it. He's like, I remember this little 14, 15-year-old girl that was – Buster a tail, and he's like, I'm still glad to see you in the industry. So that was the then turn connection of like, okay, Carl Edwards is a good looking man, but <laughs> he also, we connected on some other levels. So it's still cool to see more recently, like him kind of reintegrating himself in the sport. You know, he's been at a couple races recently, yeah. done some Q and A's, you know, part of the NASCAR Great 75 deal. Um, but I also respect his ability to just be like, you know what? That was an amazing run. What a cool career. I'm stepping back. And that takes, you know, we, you and I have had conversations about your identity and how you just link it so heavily to something. And the fact that he was able to go, okay, that was awesome. That was great. I'm going to step back and focus on my family and here's what I'm going to do. And like, if that's what it takes. So I also respect that because that's hard. You can get caught up in this industry very quickly. Well, and I think, you know, he's never really talked about like the specifics of stepping back and everything. But, um, you know, I... Yeah, that transition of going having your identity be as race car driver exclusively to whatever's next. Yeah. And I know I think he has like teenage age kids at this point. And so really respect that. Um, but it's a tough transition. And I think you and I have gone through that transition phase in different ways. And I hadn't realized before kind of doing some research for this episode, like the role that college played in that you you because you studied some communications and broadcasting, right? So you knew kind of early on that 
broadcast might be a way to go or am I no okay Wikipedia was wrong I just need someone to go edit Hannah's Wikipedia page because apparently we can't edit it ourselves no and that's inaccurate (laughs) so I lied but please go ahead with how you got into it I did have some communication background but it was only because I was taking it as like uh general classes so I was at Boise State I graduated high school a year early because I just knew that this was like you know, why would I be stuck in Twin Falls, Idaho when I can graduate high school, get out of here, go try and focus on racing? And my parents always told me, college first, then racing. So you better figure it out. Yeah. Like, how are you going to, you know, we're not going to pay for your college and your racing. So if you want to race, get your college paid for. Wasn't an athlete, had good grades, graduated early, but like that's not enough to get a full ride anywhere. So I had pitched to Boise State University. I got accepted and said, hey, I'm literally a traveling billboard traveling up and down five of the states that you guys have the most enrollment from use me like let's talk about this I can go to schools beforehand I can do promotional stuff I can work on campus and they loved it and so I had a fluoride scholarship at Boise State they had they plastered my car with it plastered my suit we did all kinds of activation stuff um I was held on basically an athletic scholarship even though it was very different it was kind of very uncharted territory but I had a GPA requirement and I actually was going to go to business school because I had thought that I wanted to work in public relations probably is not, you know, at the time I think it was called more public relations because this is still the early days of like Twitter and that kind of stuff. So it really was more like going in, it was more marketing, Yeah, but it was still under the PR realm at the time. And so I was going to go to marketing school and I got accepted into the business school uh, jokes on me. I've always known I'm really bad at math, but I'm not even kidding you, which is funny because here you are <laughs> great at math. I could not pass my math classes. And I'm talking like tutoring, summer classes, could not pass them. And they were like, Hannah, this is like your second math course. Like you have like four more in this business school. And I just couldn't do it. Like, and I couldn't do it and keep my GPA, if that made sense. I probably yeah. could have skirted by it with some C's, but it would have dipped my GPA. Right. So I would have lost my scholarship. So I was like in panic mode. What do I do? So right before I moved out to the East Coast, I actually switched over to I'd had enough comm classes as just like my gen eds because I loved my public speaking. Oh, ironic now, isn't it? I get it? that. Yeah, I'd love my public speaking. I'd love my presentation classes, you know, like my lecture halls where you were, you know, working in, in, in pitch classes. And so I'd actually switched and I was like, okay, I felt dumb because all the athletes all go get comm degrees because it's easy which, she was quote unquote all of that, by the way. The yeah, listeners. yeah. And so I, uh, I switched. I went ahead and switched over. But you know, I was upset because I thought I wanted to do a business degree. And again, you know, manifesting it. Here I am. I this was not on my path. I did not think I was going to end up in broadcasting. I just figured a comm degree might, yeah, s- check the box of a degree somewhere, and I could still get a marketing job. And Man, here we are. So it all it all manifested itself somehow. Well, and I really believe that, like, you know, we don't know how each individual step that we take or thing that we do is going to impact later on. And I think that's something that, if I'm honest, I feel like I appreciated that kind of abstract sense early on. But mm-hmm. I feel like everyone can benefit from trying to, like, think about that earlier in life. And yes. you're quite a few years younger than me, um, which is also super impressive. Um, but, like, this idea that we just don't know how each step we take, it might impact us immediately, it might not, and then five years later, ten years later. And I just think that's really cool. And, like, especially, I would say, for, like, especially when things are tough and you're trying to 
kind of have that perseverance and trying to figure out, okay, what's next? How do I do this? How am I going to be happy? How am I going to achieve my lifestyle that I want? Um, you know, fulfillment professionally, whatever it is. Like, I think it's a helpful reminder. Like you never know when something can come back. And I would hope that that's also helpful for listeners that like, especially if you're in a rut or a lull, like it's so important to just keep moving and like, it might seem completely unrelated and you just never know and you never know. And I feel like you embody that. I feel like I embody that. And, and part of it's like taking, having a can do attitude. And, you know, I, I've talked several times on the show, like I know that I'm optimistic. I know that I'm a can do attitude. I feel like you're a pretty similar way and just kind of jump in and figure it out. Yeah. And, I was always told, don't ever be afraid of the hustle. Yeah. Like you, you've got to just embrace the hustle. Cause it might, you know, embrace the suck is what I was always told. Cause like, when I moved out here, again, we can get into that, but like I lost my ride. I was bartending. I was painting cars at car dealerships. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I was painting and detailing cars because I was like, well, I got to pay my bills. But I was doing that so that I could make enough money to pay my bills, to freelance, doing some, you know, reporting and on air stuff. And like, I feel like, you know, Similarly, so to the racing industry, the broadcasting industry is not is not stable by any standards. You might be in a one-year, five-year, 10-year contract, but they could call you tomorrow and, and cancel it and you're out of a job. And that scares a lot of people because then they go, I don't know what to do. But to be quite frank, like, again, I embrace the hustle. Like, okay, if they call me tomorrow and be like, hey, all your TV contracts are canceled, I'd be like, well, that's unfortunate, but I know how to bartend. I know how to paint cars. I'm not afraid to go get a job. I'm not afraid, like, you just embrace... It'll figure it out, like, you know. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. So you said, you know, part of the hustle is embracing the suck. And I think that's a beautiful segue to talk about that hot mic moment that happened uh, how many so for context <clears throat> so there is a racer who i've raced against who i feel like doesn't ha- not that he has a bad reputation he's a fine driver for sure but like comes from a very wealthy family and i think kind of has a reputation that goes along with that and um he was racing i think it was in the xfinity series right or was it, it was trucks an, at that point it was an actually it was an arca east race arca east race so anyway an established guy in the industry um and he's just known for being kind of an asshole sometimes and like so you were interviewing him at a track 
And, you know, how, so how much live pit reporting had you been doing at that point? So I was still pretty new in the sense that I had maybe been working part-time for the Motor Racing Network, which, you know, broadcasts all of the NASCAR radio races. Um, so I think this was 2019. So I'd maybe been doing it a year and Bristol Motor Speedway had called me and, you know, we have in-track public announcements. So PA is what we call it. And, you are pumped into all of the suites, the grandstands, the media center, whatever. And then for this race specifically, there was a live stream also that they decided to take our our stream to. So, yeah, I was still You're new, new. You were new. But I had some momentum going on my side, which made this even scarier because I'd kind of burst onto the scene with this, again, accidental job. and had Basically, been- you had interviewed him and then the interview was over. But the mic was still hot. Yes. So our, just a quick technical background. People that don't know, we wear things called packs when we're on air. And they have a little tiny, it looks like a, like a switch box on our hip. And there's a little tiny switch. And there's off, there's on air, and there's production. So when you touch your production, you flip it to your production, you can talk into your microphone, and that sends you just to your production people. You can switch it to on air. That puts you on air. And then you always just keep it off. Well, our packs infamously are known at that race specifically for just having some problems. So what we decided was my production button didn't work. So we had to keep me on air. But it was going to be on my producer's job to turn me on and off on his board. So I'd always be on, but it was his job to turn me on and off. And this driver had wrecked out like, lap one of the race. I'm not allowed over the wall, so I can just see the left side of the car. It's not very damaged, but they decided that it was done. So I interviewed him and he was just like smart with me. And I've always said, I, you are more than welcome to be as mad as you want on the microphone, but we both have jobs to do. So don't take it out on me. You can say whatever you want into that microphone, but I am not the problem because you wrecked your race car. Right. That's what I've always said to people. I've been there. I've been the driver. I know how this goes. We get angry. We get heated. Adrenaline. A whole weekend get thrown away. But we both have jobs to do. And he like was mouthy with me and walked out of the interview. Well, in my ear, as soon as that interview was over, my producer had gotten in my ear and made a comment along the lines of like, oh, he's being a little shithead. And I... Because he'd said that in my ear, and rookie mistake, had assumed I was cleared from the board, had responded to my producer and said, what a douchebag. Iconic moment, I just need to say. Oh. I feel like everyone in the industry agreed with you. Um, but but it like, went as international, a young, yeah. As like, a young professional, I can only imagine, like, you know that you've messed up. Like, that's the only way to look at it. Even if everyone agrees with you, like, you messed up and you're, as you said, having this momentum and you're going. Can you walk me through, like, immediately what was going through your head or when you knew that it was live? I didn't know that it happened initially. Oh, fine. So I, you know, had gone back and forth with my producer after that, whatever, no big deal. I was standing there. The race resumed going. Um, I usually put my phone on, do not disturb in my back pocket, but my watch started going off. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And I looked down and seen one text message from another industry person. And it said, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe that just happened. And I was like, oh, lap one wreck. Look, who are we kidding? This always happens in ARCA. And then I was like, well, maybe I should start feeding through these. And then I panicked because I started to see tweets at me. Can't believe they were reposting it already. And I got in my ear to my producer and I was like, hey, 
that one over the air. And he's like, what? And I was like, that one over the air. And he's like, oh my gosh. And there's nothing you can do now, right? He's like, just finish the race. We'll handle it after the fact. And I was like, okay. So we finished the race. I did victory lane, whatever. He called me apologizing profusely. He felt so bad about it because, you know, we knew the situation. It was kind of both our faults. And I thought that my job was over. I was like, you get one, you know, I'm so new and I had some momentum. I was like, oh, this is it. They're going to be like, oh, she's a liability. We're out. Um, Fortunately, the industry wholeheartedly had my back and it became a pretty running, it became a joke for at least a couple years. I mean, that driver would have a wreck on track six months down the road at some, any given race and people would tag me in the comments like, oh, Hannah was right. And it just like spiraled out of control and even, like, I was waiting for my bosses to call me, like, my, you know, big NASCAR bosses, my radio bosses. And, you know, they called me and they were like, hey, learned your lesson. Don't do it again. And I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. But um, fortunately, you know, it, it, it's it been brought up in a lot of my job interviews moving forward, but all in a very lighthearted moment. Like, they get it. You know what yeah. I mean? You're – and they, I think, now know me well enough to, like – my language sometimes can be very colorful. And so that was a very minute right. <laughs> situation. Right. And that, like, I mean, again, Ben and I were watching it. And now, like, we'll be like, oh, is she the one who mm-hmm. made the comments? Like, um, but I think also, like, you know, we've talked a lot about gender dynamics in motorsports. And it's so male-dominated, so testosterone-dominated. And, um, like, do you feel in some way that, that could have actually helped you. Like, I don't know, like every woman has a different experience in racing. Right. But we've talked about it and like, you know, not, not going down the selling sex route and, you know, trying to focus on the craft and, you know, getting that respect in the industry. 100%. Like I wish I would have had some stellar interview that would have projected me farther than that situation. But I've heard from, maybe not directly to my face, but, like, I've heard from male counterparts of mine that have said, like, oh, if that would have been a guy that would have said that, he'd have been fired. But instead, I went viral because I was a girl and it was funny. Mm. And I was like, well, okay. Interesting. I hadn't cool. I hadn't thought like, about it that way. I'll t- yeah. You know what? I hate to say it. I'll take the breaks where I can get them. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes I have to fight a lot harder. So, like, if that's something that cut me a break, right. I'll be the first one to be like, all right, cool. Yeah. I mean, it did. Like, I... I went viral. Like, I, like, I got me attention that I probably didn't have before. Would I, again, have liked it in a different manner? Yes. Was I fortunate, very fortunate of how the situation turned out? 1,000%. Have I become more cognizant of how I handle myself with equipment? Yeah. Yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like it built momentum maybe that I didn't have beforehand. and. It's definitely died down over the last couple of years. Like, I mean, it got to the point where, like, I was in Canada for a truck race and I had, like, fans yelling at me from across the way. That's like, so fun, though. And, like, it took me a while to embrace it. Like, yeah. at first I was just like, okay, can this go away? Can this die down? Because I still didn't know how this was going to affect me. Like, it was in the spring of, like, 2019. I was in for a contract at the end of the year. Like, I didn't yeah. know if that was going to affect me. At the end. I was like, let me just make sure I've got stability and security before I lean into this. Yeah. And then I could lean into it once I knew I was going to be okay. Did you make any kind of public apology or did you acknowledge it in any? Because I'm trying to, I couldn't remember how you did that. Because I think part of it, like, I couldn't, like, when I've talked with people in industry, very, like, whether it's team people, you know, more corporate people, like, 
the overriding response is like, oh, it was a mistake. It's fine. But it could have been a really, especially in a traditionally more conservative sport. Yes. It could have been really big, but I just didn't feel like that was the vibe. And so I'm sure that you had set your reputation a little bit also, but like, how did you kind of publicly deal with it or did you not really and just kind of like let it do its thing so I think I'd originally planned on just like letting it do its thing but then I had people that I thought I had really respected in the industry coming at me on social media and again I think this comes back to the whole it was people that were like oh if that would have been me I would have been fired kind of a thing so I like didn't know what to do I'd called some people that were that I actually respected and that were above me and was like it's do I bring more attention to it by putting an apology out there? Which what really helped, I think, set the tone was that Bristol Motor Speedway was phenomenal about it in the sense that originally I was like, you know, hey, I understand if this was a Saturday night and we had a Sunday cup race still to come. And I was mortified to go back to the track the next day. And they were like, no, let's lean into it. Let's have fun with this. Because if we, because I was like, you know, I understand if you like want to send me home, whatever. They're like, no, then it's going to look like we fired you. Then that's going to look bad. They're like, it's going to look way better if we not only bring you back, but we embrace it. Oops, it. it was an accident. Let's own it. Let's have fun with it. That's the whole point of this. And they've been nothing but phenomenal about that. And I feel like that helped my mental state also Super. of having good people above me. They were like, hey, it happens. Everyone has a mulligan. Like that afternoon, that evening, we sat in the hotel lobby and looked up very well-known sports people that have done some way worse things on air and they still have jobs. And so I think I ended up putting a tweet out there, a single tweet that I was just in response to like, you know, made a rookie mistake. It happens. Hopefully we can all move on and laugh about it. And that was it. And I just let it die. And yeah, that was my goal. No, that makes sense. And I really like, I also really agree with that. Like really owning who you are, what you've done. And I think especially when making mistakes and like, you know, I think this is relevant, whether we're entrepreneurs or working in corporate or whatever it is, or just like interpersonally that like you kind of establish yourself as a person, not just in what you do and how you treat people, but like how you, how you lean into what Mm -hmm. you've done and take ownership. And I think it establishes kind of like integrity and authenticity and, I think more and more now, like, people can spot inauthenticity. And, like, I think it's okay to be a little more relaxed, a little more vulnerable, um, and showing that we're human. And I think you're seeing this across industries for the most part. Um, So I really respected that. And, like, how old were you at the time also? Oh, maybe 20? Yeah. Like, you were a baby. Yeah. And, like, I just, again, like, goes back to respect, especially because you're so young. And, oh, it's just... Jealous, but um, like, like you know, being able to handle yourself like in on such a big stage for a mistake. I just like, I kind of love that. I feel like it can almost like help normalize that for other people as well. Which I don't know if that's the kind of role model you want to be, but like that it normalizes that people make mistakes. You learn from it. Well, and I feel like it almost helped. You know, I had this momentum going for me. I feel like it helped set. I don't want to say like the precedent of who I am because I don't want to be like known as that. But I have always tried to pitch myself authentically, right? Like I – like, you know, one of the things that my producers have always told me is like your personality comes through on the camera. And at that point in my career, I was still trying to learn how to navigate that, right? Like should I be the very scripted, uptight, presenting stuff? Like you just – you have to learn how to come into yourself in that role because – 
you're literally selling your personality on camera. And I feel like that opportunity or that situation created an opportunity for people to get some insight into my actual personality because it is. I'm a little bit, you know, more rambunctious and a little more, you know, vivacious and that kind of stuff and maybe comparison to some of the other females that are on camera and whatever. I'm a little more rough around the edges. And I feel like that provided the opportunity for me to lean into that. Brand building. It was. It was an accidental brand building. I, I was able to lean into it and be like, okay, I can now kind of sell the I am who I am. You're going to get what you're going to get. And people liked that. They knew what they were going to get with me. Where at the time I was just, I was, I was clay. Probably someone had that not happened, could have molded me a little bit better and been like, okay, we're going to, yeah. you know, trim you up and we're going to fine tune your edges. And that projected me to be like, okay, here's what you get. <laughs> well, and, and what I also think like, and I think you're kind of lucky to have done that so early on um, because I think the earlier that we all lean into kind of who we are and that authenticity and saying the tone of how we're going to operate, like the, the sooner you can thrive and grow and build and like something that I kind of wish I had established earlier because I definitely let other people mold me and tell me the right way to do things. And as you get older, you realize that like there are no rules in that sense of like, yes, if an industry had typically been buttoned up and proper and everything, like sure, but who's to say that it needs to stay that way? And, you know, any kind of innovation shift or kind of culture shift comes from people taking that step. And so I think, and I I found that in keynote speaking, you know, people bring in sometimes stuffy keynote speakers, sometimes really polished. And because I started when I was in my 20s, it was like, I'm a 20 year old race car driver, like people don't expect me, I shouldn't be like all the other keynote speakers. And so I think also that leaning into like, this is who I am, this is my personality. And again, as as I mentioned, I think being vulnerable like that makes you so much more relatable. And it creates such a healthier mental state too because you're authentic to yourself. Like you're not going to work or you're not going out in public and having to put on something that you're not because it's self. Yeah, and you're not living for other people. And I find that that's like kind of as a woman in her 30s now, I find (laughs) that that's like really important because life is short and yeah. you know i think you know we can, that's a whole nother conversation we're gonna have to wrap up because we're at time but like like life is so short and so the sooner that we can like be comfortable with ourselves and authentic and live with that facing outward i think the more satisfied and like i talk about that a lot like being proud of yourself being content with your life and what you are doing for you and your family and your loved ones yeah that's what the satisfaction it, is. It sets a really good framework for just like so many other aspects of your life. Totally. Well, Hannah, I had other questions, but we're going to have uh-huh. to come back for a second episode. So I'm, I want to end on a rapid fire if you're honest. Yes. Okay. If you're honest, window or aisle seat? Oh, uh, window all the time. Copy. Do you see North Carolina as your forever home? Ooh, yes. Only because we just bought here. <laughs> but also, as we record this, it's the middle of summer and like I don't know, I feel like I'm suffocating it's out. Awful. Oh, it's and it's I, only gonna get worse next week. I hate the weather. Horrible. Here, I'm gonna be honest. Um, <laughs> okay, if you're honest, if you got another dog, what would their name be? Because your dog is named Janet, right? Yeah, it's gonna be a boy, and it'd probably be something like Steve, because it has to be like Janet and Steve. Like you know what I mean? We gotta like keep the the human names going. I love that. Last one. What are you most grateful for right now? Ooh, I think I'm most grateful for like 
the concrete friendships that I've built because not being near your family, you have to create your family. And I always tell people I have some of the most firm, concrete friends that are like lifer friends. And that's all you can ask for. That's amazing. Well, Hannah Newhouse, thank you so much. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, super active on Twitter and Instagram, which is just at Hannah Newhouse. Uh, not on the Threads train yet. It's very overwhelming. I got on. It but gives me anxiety. <laughs> very overwhelming. I'm a millennial and it's like too much for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But- Yeah, Hannah, thank you so much. I will link everything in the description. Congratulations on being our first guest. I say our, the royal we, my first guest, if I'm honest. Thank you so much. Well, I'm honored. Thank you again. That is our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you again, Hannah. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast. And as always, thank you for letting me and Hannah be honest with you. And I look forward to seeing you next week. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.